Hi, friend. I was so happy to reconnect with this week's guest. Their wisdom, heartfelt sardonicism, and history as a lead singer in a rock band are right up one of my alleys. Michael and I met in Washington, D.C. around uh, 2009. Although we joke we probably met during the Inquisition while we were sharing a burning steak. We immediately connected over our love of theater and working with Ian Allen's Cherry Red Productions, which has to be the most twisted theater I have ever been around. Michael introduced me to meditation, which has played a significant role in my life. I was fortunate to spend the next five years in Sangha with Tara Brock, founder of the Insight Community of Greater Washington. As Michael did for me, I introduced others to that meditation community. In this conversation, we not only talk about theater, but also our love of theater director Robert Lepage, whose seven-hour opus lip-sync we saw at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and it was just truly remarkable. I pen an ongoing love letter to Jeremy Atherton Lynn's book, Gay Bar, When We Went Out, which has to be one of my favorite books of 2021. We also talk about The Sobriety Rooms and Alcoholics Anonymous, where I spent a good bit of time in D.C. until I didn't. Looking back on that time, I realize how little credit I give myself for persevering against the odds. Even if that time was not the time for doing the deep work that I've been doing now for health and wellness, whatever that means in its various forms, I somehow managed to live long enough to be here now, reflecting on this history. Just the other day, I told my therapist the story of my time in D.C., something I had not really shared with anyone in a while. It was both very personally painful and extremely rewarding. And when I say I told my therapist the story of my time in D.C., I told them the painful parts. Isn't it the worst giving yourself affirmations, reflecting on your accomplishments? I've never been great at it. I'm getting a little better at it, though. Here is my conversation with Michael. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. Oh, I love that voice. <laughs> I apologize for this. This is the Kennedy Center's laptop, and I rarely use it, but uh, I hope, it, <laughs> hope we're okay. Well, that's really fancy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, How I are actually you? don't. I'm, I'm well, by the way. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. How is your pandemic? It's been very, uh, it's been fascinating. Uh, I actually caught COVID last year mm. in late November, and I was um, quite ill for um, 20 days. Mm -hmm. And uh, I must tell you, it was painful. <laughs> but um, but uh then I, I'm completely well, actually. Mm -hmm. And I'm a walking vaccine full of antibodies. Mm. <laughs> Other than that, it was, um, I was, um, I actually, as you, I work at the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. And um, 
I mean, it was a catastrophe. We, of course, had to cancel pretty much everything. And then mm-hmm. um, I was furloughed for months. But I used that time very, uh, it was fascinating. I used it to do a lot of inner work, a lot of um, reading, a lot of spiritual texts. And so. Yeah. Yeah. The way I think about it is well, Queens, you had the time. <laughs> Did you do the work? <laughs> yes. Very, very true. I've, I, yeah, I've, I very much feel into that. I, I was doing some, some deep work for the past. Oh, gosh, it's almost a year now. It is almost a year. And, um, it's interesting because I was a history major and, um, some of my work colleagues now call me Nostradamus uh, in a bad way because I was calling it. I I wrote papers on the 1918 pandemic, and oh. when this started happening, I remember, I think as early as early January, I remember they were shutting down Wuhan. I mean, it's a city of, what, 12 million people, and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, we're in tr-. I said, this is going to go around the world because, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I mean, there's, you know, air flight. Now, you know, unlike 1918, where, I mean, you know, airplanes existed, but no one, you know, and it still went around the world extremely quickly then. And I just thought, oh, my God, it's going it, to, mm-hmm. this is actually going to happen. And uh, I, um, you know, it's funny, um, your question makes me think about the last, because I'm really, as you know, I, I love music and art and theater and um the very last thing I saw, and you could tell people were very uncomfortable. The audience, it was it was mm. mid-March, and it was James Baldwin's The Amen Corner. Mm. And I was like, I don't care if I croak, I'm going to this show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it was marvelous, but you could just, you could feel, you knew it was coming. And then shortly after that, everything shut down in this city that was, and as you know, this was, is the second largest theater town after New York. I mean, there's over 90 production companies Mm -hmm. and it's a catastrophe really. Yeah. Do you know if that's happened in the past where a location or an entire city has been closed, but it's been contained and it didn't go anywhere? Uh, In the distant past, and I'm not being funny when I say this, it was in the UK, and I can't remember, I can't remember the village, but... Was that the Mad Cow? In the the 1600s, no, it was the plague, but at that point, they knew what the plague, but they knew what it was, unlike the calamitous 14th century. That was back when you and I were nearly burned at the stake for being witches. (laughs) (laughs) Those were good times. (laughs) Good times. (laughs) At any rate, in the 1600s, they knew it was coming, and they self, to their to their bravery and credit, they um, they quarantined the village, and it stopped the pandemic. But most of the village actually perished. So, mm. but that's the only one I recall right. in history. So they sort yeah. of they threw themselves into the fire. Yeah. Well, that sounds sensible. <laughs> People wouldn't do that these days. Everyone, everyone these days, it's like women and children first, and like gay men are dressing up in drag and calling themselves Stella. <laughs> uh, sad but true. Yeah, I think people are. I think there's a. Sometimes I wonder if there's a sense of community left in uh, our century, but. Who knows? Yeah, it'll be 
interesting to see when the doors come open <laughs> again, how people, you know, reintegrate or how people relate to each other again. If there is a rush, you know, I've had a friend of mine say, well, I think it's going to be like the Roaring Twenties again. Everyone's like let out and everyone's going to get loose and <laughs> have some fun. But I don't know about that. Um, I think that there there may be a, a portion of, of people that are really sort of feeling into this, you know. It is interesting. You know, um, interestingly, I actually have a book called plagues and people one thing will happen and that is um it's a paradigm shift when things like this happen um historically things really change um you know um i actually posted on facebook back in december i said after the pandemic beware the peasants revolt and then january 6th yeah. <laughs> and i thought oh my god but i mean yeah i think when things open up i think i think both will happen i think many people will party very hard and i think um and i think you may see reactionary and revolutionary movements mm -hmm. pick up pick up the pace yeah yeah um, I'm reading a book right now by the writer's name is Jeremy Atherton Lynn. And I believe I'm, I'm going to fuck up this title. Um, it's about gay bars and I believe it's, it's called when we went out and then there's a subtitle, but it's, but it's, it's, it's chronicle chronicling his own history with going out, um, and going to gay bars and, and going through the larger sort of gay clubbing and just scene. Um, but then within that too, there's all of these historical um, artifacts and stories embedded. So he could be talking about the gay bar, but then all of a sudden look back 50 years later or even further than that into like the turn of the century um, and what it meant to go out and to... Um, you know, find other homos. And it's just, it's really fascinating to me. And it, it sort of made me think a little bit about, you know, all of the gay bars that have gone under during the pandemic yeah. and couldn't sustain yeah. themselves and, the, and other institutions that just couldn't sustain themselves. I'm sure there will be um, a plethora of arts institutions that won't be able to reopen. Um, you know, those that maybe weren't fortunate fortunate enough to have federal grants or, you know, have some type of sustainable income from grants. But do we even... Well, I guess, no, we do give federal grants here for the arts, but it's not like um, state theaters in Europe where they're like... See, that's what I was just about to bring up. Okay. I mean, I grew up in Europe. I didn't even come to America till I was 21. Move, I should say, live here. I, I came once or twice like when i had an uncle getting married or something you know but i grew up in europe basically and the arts were very much subsidized because it's so important and you're right mm -hmm. um here it does happen but it's very minimal and i do wonder i do wonder um mm -hmm. how's that book though you liking it it's it's almost like I'm reading 
um, the story of me in a way with some differences, of course, of place and, and situations and names. But I, it's rare that I pick up a book and I'm like, oh my gosh, this could really be my story. There are so many similarities. I mean, even down to he mentions he lives on the same street I lived on in Los Angeles. So wow. the places around that area resonate with me. Um, places in London. He lives in the same area I lived in when I went to Goldsmiths College in London. So I know the bars he talks about. It's like there's a lot of serendipity in it. But wow. um, this doesn't seem to just be my reaction to it. I, I'm seeing a lot of people posting like just reactions about really feeling into the universality of of being in the gay scene and and being in community. It's really it's a really great book. Um, I mean, yeah, it hurts. It hurts a good story. By the way, you look great. Thanks. <laughs> Love the beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm calling it my face forest. Um, I'm really feel. I'm really feeling into my butchness. <laughs> Just don't turn into a hipster. <laughs> no. Well, no. I don't know. I guess I have some hippie ideas, but <laughs> other than that, I mean. Um, Speaking of no, I mean I was a hippie, as you know. I'm 123 years old. I mean, I I was. T I, I don't know. If I, I'm gonna have to send you a photo of me in the, in the I, 70s. You and Jesus? I look like Charles Manson. <laughs> yes, exactly. well, I was gonna say I look like Charles Manson. Oh, I'm gonna send you a photo um, of me at the Last Supper. <laughs> by the way, speaking of hipsters, um, <laughs> do you remember when we went to Brooklyn? You took me to that marvelous uh, Lapage uh, performance at BAM. <gasps> Do you oh that? yeah oh was that the set that was the seven hour yes oh with the and we were at one and we were sitting next to like wally sean oh yes oh from... my gosh wally sean is forever <laughs> bam i've sat next to wally sean in um in in performance performances uh, many a times like he's always out and about yeah, that Thank was you the one for taking me to that. Yeah. It was marvelous. What was the name of that? It was something. It was, you know, it was about human trafficking. It was so sad and beautiful in a way. Yeah. And now I can't remember the title. Um, it was. It started with an yeah. L or something. I can't remember it. Um, but it was the one where they had the entire airplane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they built an entire airplane on the stage, and then they yeah. had the. It was like it looked like it was flying because of all the media that was happening behind it. Yeah, that was that was like being the 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 technology of that felt very much like I was sitting on the set of a Hollywood feature film. Yeah. Just incredible. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't make theater like that because it's so fucking expensive. And at least they're not made they're not doing it here in the States. I mean, he's up in he's up in Canada and He's in Canada. That's right. And you're right. It's very rare to see something where it's so multimedia. I mean, he had opera singers. He had <laughs> that set was incredible. Yeah. Um, and it just kept yeah. coming apart and like warming in different things. <laughs> I mean, it just, it was so, it was, a, it, it was choreographed to a T. I mean, like the amount of ingenuity and choreography and direction. Um, I mean, he strikes me very much as one of those directors that 
that directs things within an inch of their life, you know? Like, mm-hmm. pick up your finger here on this word and gently move it to the right. I mean, because there's so much happening around, you can't really, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Can't be Elizabeth Ashley eating scenery up in there, <laughs> doing whatever you want. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> chain smoking pill popping she's right up one of my alleys <laughs> yeah wasn't she did a performance at the kennedy center i feel like not too within like the last 10 or 15 years maybe i'm wrong that i don't think so but she was at the shakespeare theater company um she did like count on a hot tin roof there and she also did um well that was back in like what the, a woman of no importance oh i was, was gonna say count on a hot tin yeah. roof must have been back in the 80s no i think 90s she played maggie well yeah (laughs) (laughs) and elizabeth ashley i love you and if you ever hear this (laughs) i am sorry i apologize (laughs) yeah how is eduardo oh he's so sweet he's sweet uh he also unfortunately came down with covid um and uh, but again we're both well and Mm -hmm. um he's back at work and he's a baker i don't know if you knew that but i had you know i had a 28 inch waist until i met him (laughs) yeah you don't live together do you yeah oh you do live together yeah wait are you still in the ash the ashram i am and then in fact i'm right now i'm here yeah and then eduardo moved into the ashram he did but not for metaphysical reasons. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for physical reasons. <laughs> right. Now, um, if there's something you want to talk about, or if I bring something up, you can go. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that. Um, I was wondering. Eduardo went through the. I know Eduardo had to go through the process of. What was it? Getting a visa. Uh, getting a green card. Getting yes. a green card. And, and um it, yeah oh, i'm sorry go ahead and everything is everything has worked out it has worked out um and now we're in the process of um we've applied for uh citizenship but there's a backlog i mean several months and um so fingers crossed mm-hmm. um, how long does that process take once they bring him in for the interview it's just a very quick, it's essentially, you know, testing um, basic questions about the United States and the form of government and all of that. And if it's done in the morning, you can actually get um, sworn in as a citizen that afternoon in court. But because there's such a backlog, um, the wait is going to be eight to nine months, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his family is not in the States, correct? Most are not. Oh, okay. There are a few sisters that are here, yeah, yeah. And they live in and they live in D.C. Uh, yeah, they do. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to have family, or some family it nearby. It is. Yeah. So, are you? Um, do you have plans to go back to the Kennedy Center? Are you in a holding <sighs> pattern, or you said maybe that you're you're still there, or you're or you're back? I am back. Oh, okay. um, back as of as of October. Um, oh, okay. 
and uh, but it's all remote as a, as is most of the or I shouldn't say that but many in the country mm-hmm. we're all working remotely um, and I really look forward to getting back into the building I'm a social animal and I really mm-hmm. loved sort of you know being there and um, I just don't know when that'll be though I think when it'll be is when most people have access or who want it get the vaccine mm-hmm. and then I think society if you will will open up and that's when I think we'll things will start being produced again but um no I'm back mm-hmm. uh, actually working there it's just that I'm I'm remote like I'm on the computer right. all day here um yeah I mean that's such a gorgeous place to be but I'm I'm sure <laughs> there's a part of you that misses just that environment and and then being I able really to, do. Yeah, walk out the back and being on the river and yeah. no, it's just beautiful. And also, you know, after getting off shift, you know, when we put in the shows, actually grabbing a ticket and and going into one of the shows. I mean, I don't own a television. I would go see everything if I, you know, just about everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, that I really miss. I miss live performance. I miss uh, I for decades i attended the symphony and i really missed that Mm -hmm. so yeah that was a that was something that i was doing on friday night here was going to the colorado symphony because it's not too far from my house and i don't know if it was i think they probably their audience is bigger when they have special events but um this sort of i don't know regular yearly symphony program Every time I would go to that, it would be kind of sparse. Um, it was a little upsetting to see, but um, one of the things for me is that I'd be able to like, because you know I'm back in I'm back in school, is to grab a student ticket for ten bucks and sit like right over the 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 string bass and um, yeah the string bass section. And be right there, like in the front, and have that whole section like completely empty. It would just be me, me and my me and my like candy and my cross legs, <laughs> hearing some symphony. <laughs> I hope you opened the candy during the middle of the performance. <laughs> yes, of course, <laughs> only during the quiet moments. <laughs> Unwrap a Starlight Mint very slowly. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna totally date myself here, but. What you're saying, I mean, when I was living in Munich in the 70s, so I'd go see Patti Smith Group and all that, you know, just all this wonderful rock and roll. But at the same time, I (laughs) I would do what you, I I do too. But at the same time, I would do what you did. Like I'd get, it was five marks. I'd go into the opera, order the symphony, sit in the back. You could smoke back then. So I'd smoke in the back and (laughs) it was packed. It was packed with young and old. In America, with the exception of maybe Manhattan, um, like at Lincoln Center, I noticed that with the symphony, you know, and I don't know why this is, but it's just, um, yeah, it's usually like the subscribers. They're usually much older. Mm -hmm. It's kind of rare to see people in their 20s and 30s, um, in their hundreds, if I Mm -hmm. I may, you know, like, and I don't know why that is. It's beautiful, uh, beautiful art, really. That's not the case here because it's a younger town. Oh, that's great. Um, it's just they just need. I would. I'd hope to see it more at capacity than it's than it's been. But I certainly yeah. don't mind 
crossing my legs and splaying across a few scenes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> I've always, I love your humor. I've always loved your humor. When is the last time I saw you? I guess it would have been when I um, was doing the, maybe we did the cabaret for Rainbow. No, it was later than that. I, I want to say it was, um, well, unless, my God, unless I'm really off on dates, but I want to say it was when you did that fascinating performance at Arena Stage with uh, with Force. It was at the, it was in their new yeah, space. Yeah, when we did, um, I think that was the last time I saw you. It was yeah. it was called Trust Me, and we'd gotten permission from Fuck Richter, who was a German playwright, to use some of their text, and then we kind of spliced it together and sort of did that hodgepodge, yeah, of like diatribes. And then before that, um, yeah, you did. Uh, you directed. Say you love Satan for uh, yeah. for Rainbow. You you did uh, you did Torch, and then I want to say, Clip Notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you were busy in this town. <laughs> yeah, very creative. Yeah, very creative. Yeah, I I miss doing theater, um, a little bit. <laughs> I don't miss other people telling me what to do. <laughs> I was saying, I was talking to my friend Jenny and we were reminiscing about the first time that we did a, that we did, the first time that we met was the first time we were doing theater together at a regional theater in, outside of Philadelphia. And it was like a, one of their summer musicals, which was sort of a cornucopia of <laughs> a few composers that don't really make thematic sense put together. It was Angela Weber, Kurt Vile, and um, oh my god, um, uh, Wildhorn. I can't remember Frank Wildhorn who wrote like um, the Jekyll and Hyde musical and another musical. I don't remember, but these were the th <laughs> three thrown together. And I said, oh yeah, I would get these director's notes all the time. But I always thought of them as options. <laughs> <laughs> so options I could choose whether to take or not. And I would get in trouble because I would not take them. <laughs> I think I listened to that podcast and 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 oh, was yeah? the question was asked she I think she pegged you as a vile. And then you were like, no, it was, you preferred Weber or did, yeah. did I hear that right? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, that's the that's because my first introduction to theater was Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. Oh, okay. And everything after that paled in comparison. <laughs> 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 I mean, that was that was my that was the I think I was probably Fourteen or fifteen, and I—that was my first Broadway show. As I went to see *Phantom of the Opera*, and I believe that I saw *Phantom of the Opera* with Michael Crawford, but Sarah wow. Bre Sarah Brightman was not in it. It was wow. still the original, most of the original cast, because that would have been back in shit like '93. No, not even then. It'd be like ninety, ninety-one, ninety-two, and I believe it opened in like '89. It was like in the late '80s. Wow. Um, yeah. my, my first 
musical. I'm not even sure why we came here, but we, we flew to Washington. I mean, it obviously had to do with my father's work, but we were here briefly, like for a vacation, like home leave, whatever you want to call it. And that evening, my parents took us to the Ford's Theater. I think it was 1970 or 1971. Mm-hmm. I was like 10. And it was Godspell. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first national tour, I think. And uh, that was the very first um, musical theater piece I saw. And then I didn't see one, because we were always going to the opera, the symphony, mm-hmm. but as a family. But the, the next one wasn't until 1977, I want to say. And I was in London. I was, I was living in Munich. I flew to London. And it was the Rocky Horror Show. Mm. And that was interesting. <laughs> Very different from Godspell. Yeah. <laughs> now I've seen Rocky live, but I believe the only production that I of Rocky that I saw live was when they revived it on Broadway at um I want to say Roundabout because they did it in a kind of like arena stage so you so you could sit they had a big lip coming out and people like sat around it and it was like Daphne Rubin Vega Raul Raul Esparza um how was it Joan Jett played um really? Columbia wow it was a lot of fun I mean it was a very hot it was like a you could tell it was very much of its time it was a revival it was I mean, Joan Jett was in it. It was very rock and roll, like lots of electrified sound and, um, yeah, very, very electrified, (laughs) but it was a lot of fun. I don't remember the first time I ever saw that movie though. Um, I do. It was in the seventies. They even had it. It was so popular in Munich, of course, <laughs> that they even right. had its own little like theater. This was the film for the film, uh-huh. and people used just to go every weekend and get lit and and watch it. And, now, were they? Yeah. Did they have a live cast doing things in front of it at that time? No, it was just everyone in the audience was like um, getting their drink on, you know, yelling right. back at the screen, and uh, it was fascinating. Hi, friend. It's me dropping into the sponsorship slot to let you know that I Miss You has a Patreon subscriber page and I would love your support. I'm keeping it simple. There's a monthly subscriber choice of $5 and $10. For both, you'll have access to a patrons-only Facebook group for connecting with myself, fans of the show, and maybe a guest or two. Also, occasional drops of bonus content. For $10, I'm adding this super sweet pink and white enamel pin that says, Hi friend, wear it to the grocery store, to the gym, to your COVID vaccination, or anywhere else where cool kids are wearing pins these days. Who knows, maybe you'll meet a new friend. Your Patreon coin goes to support the upkeep of the show, which includes studio rental, gas to get to the studio, website and recording platform fees, dog treats... If committing to a monthly fee seems a little out of reach at the moment and you'd still like to support the show, you can make a one-time donation via PayPal at our website, imissyoupodcast.com. Now, back to the convo. Speaking of drink, (laughs) (laughs) I believe that you were the person who introduced me the first time into the rooms, into AA. You're right. 
I think you're correct. Yeah. 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 Um, and that was the first time I believe I tried to get sober. And it lasted for like a year. That's great. Yeah. But then it did. Then that's it did. great. Until it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it was the last thing I tried. You know, I've never been a follower. Um, and I was so sick from liquor and drugs. Mm -hmm. I was in a rock band at the time. It was the uh, 80s. And really strung out. And I tried everything else. And uh, I was so bitter because I was... I was so together with and so disciplined with everything else. Like you know, I was the lead singer in a band. We had two albums out, a video on MTV. We were touring. But with this, with, with liquor and drugs, you know, I'd get, I'd end up binging. I'd end up in different cities. <laughs> yeah. I'd end up with pneumonia. I just was, and so it was the last thing I tried. And for me, it worked. I mean, you know, I'm in my 33rd year mm, sober. Congratulations. Which is, and frankly, I should have died a long time ago. And a number of my dear, dear friends did, mm. you know. So here I am. It's interesting. Well, I know Jesus wasn't going to get you sober because he was too busy turning his blood into wine for everybody. <laughs> Listen, religion poisons everything. Um, You're talking to someone who grew up in Central Europe. There's After two world wars, I'm a total yeah. atheist. Yeah. I had a weird relationship with AA. Like I just didn't... I was having a hard time with it. <sighs> And then I was sort of at that time, really like I was, I had a therapist, but I didn't really like want to want to go deep into anything. So it just became a superficial exercise and I didn't want to really work on anything. And then I think that probably all of this other trauma that I, that I had, that I that I wasn't working on as well was kind of coming into the rooms with me um, around like not even having a really hard time even being around other gay men because the rooms that I went to were at the at a predominantly LGBT um, meeting place. Oh, okay. Um, so I know for me because I I was uncomfortable even being around other gay men yeah i was very turned off by it and then also i was also a little turned off by the literature and the god thing although i just wouldn't say god <laughs> when we would do the serenity prayer um yeah there were a lot of things striking at me and that's i think eventually they all just sort of kicked me up and then kicked me out of that space and it wasn't until much much later that i had to figure out a different way to stop drinking and it had to be something that was a little bit it had to be m many different things but aa didn't wind up being one of them although i understand how it works for people but it just wasn't for me oh yeah i mean there's you know it's not the only way to get clean and sober that's for sure um and there are many people 
who do get clean and sober in other ways. I mean, it's uh, for me, I would go to meetings usually, I usually didn't go to, you know, LGBTQ meetings. I went to, you know, meetings downtown, meetings in the Metropolis Club, like I guess with more just of the entire. Uh, I don't know what to call it, uh, people from the city, you know, just straight, you know, straight, gay, everybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the literature is, o- is quite old. I mean, it's from the 1930s. Um, what's fascinating about that time though, for, I think is, um, it was a very dark time, of course. And I think that they were quite ahead of their time when they were writing that, you know, Bill W was in contact with Carl Jung, Aldous Huxley of all people. Mm. And um so I think it was fascinating. Um I also like the fact that you can take what you want and leave the rest. And mm-hmm. um I used to love this meeting in Soho in New York where they wouldn't even say the prayers at the end. You know, they were just mm-hmm. like, fuck it. And uh so yeah, but I no, I hear you. Um mm-hmm. people I know many people actually who've managed to um figure out other wonderful ways you know mm-hmm. uh for me this way worked uh, i'm not sure why but god i'm glad it did yeah because uh pain <laughs> yeah. lots of pain there towards the end yeah i hear you on on the on the saying the the sort of you you felt very much like you were getting things done because you were in a band and you were managing things but on the other side there was this great sickness that was occurring underneath um because i i have felt very similar in that i was i was getting shit done i was managing things but at the same time very much not managing things so the what you might see of me um or one one sort of side of me you may see, but you're not really seeing my insides, which are melting at the time. <laughs> well, no, I that you're you're absolutely correct because you what I was seeing was you were, you know, look at everything you were doing when you were here in Washington, DC. It was an, it was frankly amazing. You started a theater company, you were a director, mm-hmm. you were a performer. Um in my humble opinion, you had your shit together. You know, and yet you're you're correct. I had the same situation a couple of decades before that where and yet on the inside, I was uh, you know, what's that phrase? She's <laughs> my friend Trip always says she's capsized and taking in water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there were when you spent enough time with me, so for instance, like having that theater company, having Force Collision, and then when we would go into production, which is basically putting us all together in a room for like 12 hours a day till very late at night, that's when that's when you started seeing the curtain was pulled back and you started seeing what was going on with me because I would start drinking like in the evening and I would sneak it in the theater, go to the toilet, you know, I'd get a, I'd get one of those little tiny plastic flasks of vodka yep. and start sneaking it in the toilet. Oh, you're singing like, my song. <laughs> and then I would do it. And then I would just get progressively more and more drunk until, and they'd be like, we have to stay, we have to stay and we have to fix this tech thing. Honey, 
honey, if I don't get out of this building, you're not going to get me out of this building. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. So familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful I'm not drinking anymore. Ooh. <laughs> and for such a long time. I mean, I'm yeah. surprised that I, every time I, well, when I go to the doctor or when I, when I have any type of routine checkup or anything, or they do any blood work, I always expect it to come back like, well, you know, your liver has turned to mashed potatoes and there's just mercury in place of your blood. You know, I always expect like the worst thing to happen. And when it comes back, like you're in perfect health, you're fine. I'm like, well, there is something fucking graceful that has been <laughs> watching out for me because I'm really, I should be dead. That's, that's a good thing though. That's a yeah. good thing. Wow. Yeah. What's um, something that you're looking forward to in 2021? I'm looking forward to, frankly, society opening back up and the arts opening back up. Um, I really would love to get back into experiencing all that again. Um, I'm also uh, looking forward to Well, I don't know quite how to say this, and maybe I'm just crazy, but I think, I wonder what's going to happen within the next five years. I think that there's going to be some type of, and I don't know if it's going to be positive or negative, but I think that there's going to be some type of massive revolution here in this country I call the empire in <laughs> the United yeah, States. Uh, a lot of my friends who are quote-unquote establishment Democrats, by the way, just for the record, I'm a communist. <laughs> um, that goes on the they, record. <laughs> but, they're, yeah, but they're kind of like, oh, thank God, you know, Joe Biden became president, we can all chill. And I'm like, you know, no. it would be nice, but that's not what's going to happen. Well, I mean, look, um, we're back up to our old tricks with bombing things in the Middle East. Yeah. I well now you're talking about one of my main main things something that's always been important to me is that I don't like the fact that we're as Dr. Cornell West calls us uh, the most ruthless empire in human history mm -hmm. where we murdered 3 million people in Vietnam it was a war of aggression we murdered a million in Iraq again we attacked and that's why you know it's funny a lot of people always said why did you like Bernie Sanders he can't comb his hair he yells and I said it's not the optics. The man said he was going to close 600 of our military bases and bring all troops home mm -hmm. and cut the Pentagon by 75%. Hey, I was when in have the, you I was When have you ever heard that? Yeah, I was in the front <laughs> row when he pulled through Colorado. I was there at that rally in the front row pumping my fists in the air. Thank you. And the other thing you know, I, I had friends and by the way, these are good friends. I'm not, you know, dissing them, but they were like I remember when he ran in 2016 against um, Secretary Clinton, and I, by the way, I don't disparage her at all. I'm just saying they were like, you know, he's hurting her. And I said, let's look at when they were both 19 years old. Now, people evolve, but she, what was she doing? She was volunteering for the Barry Goldwater campaign in 1963, a far-right Republican. Mm -hmm. What was Bernie Sanders doing? He was getting his 
ass kicked okay chained mm -hmm. to an african-american woman because they were trying to desegregate housing in chicago and there's a photograph of him that the chicago tribune took He's never boasted about it or bragged about it, but it was discovered when he ran for president. He's literally getting his ass kicked by three Chicago cops. Mm -hmm. And he's got dark hair, but it's still not combed. <laughs> and, you know, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I would love to see. And, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests, I went on them here several times. Mm -hmm. I think when things open up, I think we're going to have this side explode and i think it's a marvelous marvelous thing my worry is i think the other side's also going to be going at it again and by the other side i frankly fascism and mm. I, I i think there are two trains running you know and i i wish it weren't so but i think the next five years are going to be very intense i mean well, what do they you better think? get some it people or learn how to write fucking letters because they've been kicked <laughs> off of every goddamn media platform <laughs> grammar is important <laughs> yeah no but honestly i mean do you sense it or or yeah. am i just crazy i mean i don't know um I don't feel we can go back is what I'm saying. No. We can't go back to the way things were. I mean, I don't know. No, I don't know that it's yeah, I, I hear you. I I'm I yeah, something about what happens next. Biden is a replacement. Biden Biden is sort of like um the fixer. If, if such a thing was to exist in a political position. So we've got to, we've got to do some reparative work. Now, does that mean like social justice, reparative work, like a Bernie Sarah, Sanders type of reparative work? No, no. Are we going to do reparations for um, black folks during yes. this presidency? Well, no. I would hope so, but no, it's not going to happen. They're not going to do it. They're I not going to do it. They're plutocracy. Gonna, yeah, it's the bare minimum of of repair from the last fucking four years, which was a dumpster fire. Um, yes, it was a dangerous dumpster fire. Like I didn't, yes. I didn't think in the beginning, I'm like, Oh, this asshole, you know, he's going to, he's going to try to do all these things. They're not going to actually happen because maybe some people have, um, you know, some values in the fucking <laughs> Senate and Congress, but no, I mean, how you can even look at these Republicans in the same way. I mean, the Republican Party is not the Republican Party. It's a bunch of evil. They're um, reactionaries. They're fascists. Yeah. Listen, I grew up in Central Europe. I know what they look like. <laughs> yeah. God. I know I should say this. I know what they feel like. And that's what it feels like. Yeah. It's reactionary. It's fascism. Yeah. It's just desperate self-preservation desperate and self-preservation also is white preservation because that's the people in power that are this that are enacting this sort of desperate self-preservation you know and the sad irony is a lot of those senators and congress people who are republicans could give a damn about the people that support them and supported Trump that are in like the, you know, the Midwest, the old factory towns like Michigan and, no. uh, they yeah. could care less about them. Um, 
and uh, it's, just, it's it's an age old tale of power, yeah. corruption, and uh, yeah. I mean, Trump himself, um, if things got into the thick of it, would leave them anyway. Would just leave. <laughs> high oh, he high. never cared for them. He never just said cared. all the right thing. He said all the right things in his stump speech. Yeah. Did you ever listen to? Them? I couldn't get people at work to listen to Trump's stump speeches when he first ran. I said, "You need to listen to this motherfucker," uh-huh. and they were like, "Why?" I don't want to hear him. And I said, "No," because listen to what he's saying. And the first thing out of his mouth would be. <clears throat> I think it was somewhere in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it was unnervingly, there were like 20,000 people <laughs> that came. And right. he, he, he looked at them and he goes, you are decent people. And there was a time in this country when we built cars in Michigan and you couldn't drink the water in Mexico. And now you can't drink the water in Michigan and they're building cars in Mexico. And I remember looking out at the audience on the YouTube and they were crying they were crying, mm-hmm. John, and I thought, "Oh my God, we're in trouble." <laughs> yeah. I thought, "Oh my God, we're in trouble." Yeah, yeah. I mean, he said he said all the right things that deeply affected people who have been put out in by that particular this economy, subculture, yeah, yeah and industry, yeah. and failed <clears throat> failed car industry, and yeah. And there's like, did he mean it? No, (laughs) no, there's a well, I remember, um, well, you know, because I grew up in Pennsylvania and I went to college in Allentown, and you saw the effects of Bethlehem Steel going. That was a, I was going to say that was a steel town, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the level of poverty through that corridor, through the Lehigh Valley up through Scranton, you know, Wilkes Bar, like all of these, all the way up through the, you know, the northeast of Pennsylvania. I mean, you just saw it. The, Be- wow. the Bethlehem Steel Company going down just it just ricocheted all throughout Pennsylvania and I'm sure beyond. Um but what so Pennsylvania huge huge um opioid crisis you know, yes, yes, heroin everywhere. Um, yeah, and then one of the one of the fanciest little liberal arts colleges, <laughs> right know, in the middle of it. <laughs> right in the middle of it. <laughs> and then well, they were, were there. Let's they put were, on a show. <laughs> let's put on a play. <laughs> let's put on a play about I don't know meatpacking. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's wonderful. And well, they used to tell us to not stray too far from campus. That was, I believe that was one really? of the warnings that we were given the, when we arrived was to not go downtown, not stray too far from campus. Wow. Um, and we didn't. <laughs> I mean, we, well, that's not true. The gay bar was downtown <laughs> and the gay bar was called Stonewall, of course. And Stonewall was downtown and we would always be so wary about even like, you know, going down, venturing down there to go to the gay bar. And that gay bar had... The gay townie is just sitting up at that bar, and you know they'd been sitting there for like hours. It was that type of that type of alcoholism situation happening in that in that joint. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, indeed. It's so good seeing you. You look great. I'm really glad we got a chance to chat. It's, one, it's wonderful talking to you. I've always I've always enjoyed your your dark sense of humor and uh and your intelligence and by the way did you get more tattoos 
Oh yeah. Um, well, you know, wow. it was a, it's a huge blast over cover up of everything that was going on in my arm, um, and it just it goes up and around, and I'm getting it completed. I couldn't get it completed because of the pandemic, but yeah, I'm getting the top portion of it up around my shoulder done this summer because the artist is in Burlington, Vermont, which isn't the easiest place to you know skip to. So yeah, um, and he's you know, gotten quite famous on through social media and just, um, yeah. So it was hard getting an appointment with him, but I'm, I'm excited to go back and get it. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm heavily inked now. <laughs> you look great. You look like a biker chick. I'm afraid actually. <laughs> I like that. Well, you know, I have a vegan leather jacket in the closet. <laughs> I should pull out. <laughs> go for it. Alrighty. Well, you have a good rest of your day. You as well. Namaste. Bye. Do you have any questions, feedback, or want to share a story about reconnecting? You can drop me an email at imissyoupodcast at gmail.com. Find and follow the show on Instagram at imissyoupodcast. I Miss You is hosted, edited, and produced by me, with lots of help from the universe. This episode was recorded at House of Pod in Denver, Colorado. Our podcast graphic was designed by Ian Sklarski. New episodes are released weekly on Wednesdays. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and show some love with lots of stars. It really helps. If you would like to support I Miss You, as well as get additional content and access to our members-only Facebook group, where you can connect and share with other listeners, consider subscribing to Patreon. You can find a link to Patreon in our Instagram bio, or at our website at imissyoupodcast.com. And finally, reach out, connect, and spread the love by telling all of your friends about our show. Till next time, new friend.